in the name of the one true and living God, who is the source of all harmony, at whose birth angels sang Gloria in excelsis, and who touches us all with the beauty of sound and song. Amen. Of all those who minister in the church, I wouldn't be surprised if what inspires an organist choirmaster to take up that ministry and the skills needed to do the work are by the members of a congregation the least known of all the gifts required of those called into service in God's sanctuary. But without an, some awareness of what goes on into the creation of a church musician, we may rejoice today because we know and love Kyle deeply, but have no idea what has formed his great abilities. And so I'll try to describe some of these things, but with temerity, knowing I can expect Kyle's gentle and respectful corrections at a later date. <laughs> to say nothing of what the other church musicians contributing to our joyful celebrations today may want to say, for they forget more than I will ever know. But with a boldness that comes from ignorance, and taking a cue from St. Paul, who wasn't ashamed to say he was speaking as a fool, I'll plow ahead. I don't know what began Kyle's long journey in music. I doubt he'd tell me, fearing it might get into a sermon somehow. <laughs> of one thing I am certain, that God certainly laid his hands on him in mysterious and unforgettable ways. I do know how friends of mine who are organists were first touched by the divine sounds that changed their lives. One heard an organ being played on the radio, and the hairs at the back of his neck stood up, and for decades now he has followed where those sounds led him. Another was taken to an organ concert as a kid, and as he watched the sunlight catch the stained glass windows spreading their liquid colors all over the choir stalls and stonework, all of a sudden, a long cadenza on the pedals of the organ broke the silence, and he was swept away, lost forever to the discovery of ever new sounds and harmonies. One thing to say right off the bat, learning the organ is a lonely business. If you're learning the piano, you can always be distracted by your friends coming to ask if you want to come out and play ball. <laughs> but the organist is off in a church alone, and perhaps only the occasional sight of the sexton coming and going, or some tourists who stop by to listen till you make a mistake, and then wander off, realizing they'd been wasting their time. <laughs> you get to know the church at all seasons. 
in the summer when it's unbearably hot and you take off as many clothes as you dare to, or on a gray afternoon in winter when the whole church has a silence to it and your only companions may be those who lie in the burial vaults. It's usually when an organist gives a recital that you discover the biggest part of the organist's struggle for perfection, for you see that she plays with the feet as well as the hands, and that the feet work as fleetly and fluidly as the hands on the manuals do. This is the ultimate pat your head and rub your tummy skill. <laughs> and there are many organists who never master it. Another skill an organist needs that will never be noticed because it's been mastered so completely, organist organs have stops, which are either pulled out or pressed down to call forth the different sounds an organist capable of making. These sounds are like unruly children who have to be carefully supervised to keep them from making noise not music. The organist needs to know these various sounds. They all go by names given them 400 years ago when pipe organs of the sort we're familiar with uh, were first constructed. Crumhorn, Spitzflüter, Bourdon. Now Kyle needs to know all these sounds and how they combine together pleasingly. For you wouldn't want to be singing a hymn with stops when pulled sounded like kazoos or grunts from some sea monster. And the organist needs to know the acoustics of the building she's playing in to be able to register the stops to produce the right sounds for the space. This takes a great deal of careful listening and long practice. So much for some of the characteristics of Kyle's skill set. Then there's the choir master aspect, which needs a very different expertise. To be a choir master, you have to have the patience of a saint, the tact of an angel, and an expert and omnivorous knowledge of choral music to be able to select from it all what will work on any given Sunday and in a way appropriate for the season of the church year? And what will be a challenge for the singers, but not too much of a challenge? What will suit the voices you have? For remember that church choirs, most of them at least, are composed of amateurs, but serious ones, who may not have time to vocalize daily or receive ongoing vocal coaching. As a priest, when over the years I'd happen in on a choir rehearsal, what I saw could sometimes look a good deal more like a group of unruly fourth graders, <laughs> especially when I noticed the basses. <laughs> Where were blackboard erasers when they were needed? But after I retired, and became a bass in a choir, I discovered that in many choirs, basses could be the choir cut-ups, and 
that I turned out to be no better than the rest. I see Kyle conducting Sunday after Sunday. And because his choir, as you know, is expert, he doesn't need to shoot harsh looks at anyone. Harry eyeball the basses. <laughs> or make forced smiles when somebody goes completely off key. They work together as colleagues. But many choral directors aren't so fortunate and have to stuff their feelings deep down so as not to endanger the tender egos of their choristers. <laughs> of course, this is what modern choral masters do. But back in the late Middle Ages when I was a boy chorister, <laughs> choir masters had no such hesitancy and not once but many times did my choir master bark at me, Radley, if you do that again, So these are some of the building blocks of the well-prepared and trained organist choirmaster. But what's the goal of all this knowledge and experience? What's the reason for mastering the keyboards, the pedals, of learning the various sounds an organ can make, and how to make the organ sound at its best in the church it's been placed in, and the music that will be played on it? And most important, What's the goal of all the tender encouragement and training of the singers? Well, quite simply, the goal is the glory of God. The organist never wants attention drawn to him or herself, for the efforts of the organist, although they are for our spiritual delight, are ultimately intended for God alone. Others, other performers are used to applause. The violinist will be glad to receive it when he's finished the concerto. The pianist awaits it when her set of Beethoven sonatas has been safely brought to its final forte. But the organist in the organ loft? Well, organists are lost in their world of sound, in the intricacies of the music they've played. And when they've completed their Bach or the finale of an organ symphony, they've received their reward already. They've heard the sounds of heaven and want no more. For from their earliest days in those lonely churches practicing, they've been in conversation with divine things. And like the child trying to catch the soap bubble she's blown, the organist plays what's been practiced and gets hints of a celestial music. And though it vibrates in her spirit, it'll always be just out of reach. For you must never forget that musicians are ministers too. The preacher hears the infinitely suggestive meanings in the words of the scriptures and tries to convey them. But the musician hears something that comes directly from heaven, and it's his task to convey it to us, or almost convey it to us. 
For while the words this preacher uses have been used and reused and have been contaminated by overuse and misuse, the music is pure. Pure because it comes from that country far beyond the stars. And what music really means is known only to the angels. If, as the great poet and preacher John Donne once said, all the way to heaven is heaven, then for the church musicians, the organists and the singers, music isn't just a joy along the way to heaven, it's the very sound and taste of heaven that's been pulsing through them. And, and this is the reason why at this service, the music that's usually played to accompany our coming in and our going out, walking music as it's known in the trade, <laughs> is being played right in the service. So you can enjoy it and take spiritual nourishment from it as if it were the scriptures you were hearing, or gospel conveyed to you from its ultimately heavenly origin. Now when the organist or the singer gets to heaven and they hear the music there, they'll realize joy of joys. They knew that music already. It's what they've been singing and playing, and they realize they lucky ones have been in heaven all along. So we celebrate Kyle today and all the gifts God has given him and his many and varied accomplishments, acknowledging the 20 years he's been with us and, God willing, hoping there'll be plenty more. But there's more to celebrate. How the fingers of God playing through Kyle's fingers have given us a foretaste of heaven, and how the Spirit of God has been speaking through him down all these years when he's asked from the choir of pianissimo here, and the enunciation of the final consonant there, and for goodness sake, please feel those alleluias from the soles of your feet, and be the music you're singing. Oh, the marvelous result of all this has been the way our own joys have been intensified and heightened, and the sorrows which from time to time we bring with us to church have been lessened and ameliorated and touched with the feather of God's presence. With the result that all of us, musicians and ourselves alike, may say what Bach and Handel often wrote at the top of their manuscripts. To God alone be the glory, soli Deo gloria. Amen.